You're listening to the I Love You Keep Going podcast with George Haas. For more information, please visit our website at www.metagroup.org. That's www.metagroup.org. So welcome, everybody. This is I Love You Keep Going. It is October 20th, 2022, 7.35 p.m. Pacific Daylight Time. And I thought that I would talk a little bit about uh, conditioning tonight. Uh, then Jake brought up the idea that I should complete my uh, description of uh, different attachment styles. So maybe I'll sort of mash them together and uh, um, make sense of that. Um, in Buddhism, there's there's a, a a conversation that we like likely have around conditioning. Um, the um, I often um, it often lands for me as this uh, ill-defined subject of uh, what actually happens in the process of forming self and world. Um, And so I do like to have the attachment framework as a as a, a sort of a structure around the idea of conditioning, what it is that happens, how it is that that affects us, and uh, then how that influences the way that in each moment we create from ultimate reality uh, our experience of it, conceptual reality, the, the solidness of how things appear. Um, we exist uh, in these human bodies, which have sensing capabilities. The sensing capabilities take in uh, the experiences uh, that we're actually able to detect, but it doesn't take in the rest of the experiences. So as I like to say, this is the capacity of light, this is the capac our capacity to sense light, this is the capacity of sound, uh, this is our capacity to understand it. So it's it's like these little slivers of experience that we're able to take in. And then uh, we uh, interpret them or understand them in a particular way. Um, the capacity to sense has contact with the object that can be sensed. Uh, sensing experience arises in consciousness. It's evaluated for processing speed and then compared to a perceptual database. Uh, that is to say, things that we've already conceptualized or a perceptual database, things that we've already perceived and defined, uh, which we store as memory, uh, but also as process. And then depending on how uh, we interpret the experience of the present moment, we create a meaning out of experience of the present moment. So each of us, because we have different conditioning, is creating a different experience of the present moment, watching it, uh, as we do from uh, our self-experience. One of the first things that we do uh, uh, is begin to understand that that automatic process, that unconscious process of forming all of these things operates without our self-volition, particularly, uh, 
And if we uh, take on a meditative posture or stance and we don't intentionally do anything, that process of creating a conceptual reality goes on. Um, I'd like to say whether we like it or not, or whether we like what we make up or not, uh, if that makes sense. Um, but in the beginning, uh, just sitting down and, and being asked uh, in meditation to watch that flow of experience go by. Um, I wasn't able to really create much insight into the nature of that process. Um, and so uh, uh, that and now that may be because uh, the um, the Western uh, view that I grew up in, um, really the organization of the discussion of all of this was around um, psychology, Western psychology. Uh, it's a, uh, if you remember your psychoanalytic history, uh, swinging way back to Freud and uh, the amazing constructions that he came up with to explain how this all happens. Uh, and then the, the, the pressure of society on what we're allowed to interpret and not interpret coming in uh, and that about face that he did uh, when pressured to do so by the poor reaction of society that, uh, that it was uh, possible that uh, all parents weren't loving um, and that it became rather than what actually happens to you uh, creating the condition the uh, your uh, interpretation of what happens maybe that's true to some degree we do say on the attachment side of things that it that it isn't the event that happens uh, it isn't the traumatic event that happens that uh, changes the attachment conditioning it's the ability to integrate the experience of the event. So we all grow up in these uh, family groups that are engaged or embedded in society. And we have the pressures that come from the, the not only the family group, but the larger group that our, our family's systems are embedded in. Jake? So when you say it's our ability to integrate the events, the traumatic events that determines whether they're traumatic or not, does that just, is, is that the determinant factor of, um, of um, uh, attachment security? So is, is it to say that that's, that's, is that like the main kind of idea of attachment uh, status is your ability to integrate uh, traumatic experience? Well, um, it's a little reductive uh, in that, that uh, it's uh, to make it one thing. Um, if you grow up in a secure family system, uh, children tend to be protected in secure family systems. And in insecure, disorganized family systems, they that level of protection may be different. 
sometimes it's not well protected. Uh, and then if something traumatic does happen and pierces that protective uh, barrier that the, the family system is putting around the children, then the family system's ability to help the child integrate the experience is what makes a difference. So in a secure family system, the family system itself responds and uh, ensures that the child is able to recover from the experience. But in insecure family or disorganized family systems where uh, the child is less protected, they're less uh, able to keep the child from harm and also uh, less able to deal with harm that might happen. So the child is uh, not only more vulnerable to things going wrong, but if something does go wrong, the family system isn't able to come together and to help the the uh, child integrate the experience, so it has a tendency to have a greater impact. And then in disorganized family systems, where it is the family system itself that is often involved in the traumatic experience, uh, because the family system itself is the cause of the trauma, the child doesn't seek uh, care or protection from the family system, which also makes them vulnerable to outside uh, exploitation. So you so, see, so, uh -huh. so the question is, what do you do for an adult that has that experience, that, that disorganizing experience or that insecure experience? How do they develop the conditions in their adult life to have secure care? You know, I, I read, I heard in a podcast yesterday that therapy is only only be like you know 10 percent maximum of the answer how do they how do they learn the skills and enact them to get their life in a place where they have the level of support that they need to actually have a secure experience is it possible you know is it possible i guess that's my question uh, well i would think it is um We, you know, we mainly offer around attachment work here uh, at Metagroup, the uh, three pillars approach that was developed by Dan Brown, uh, David Elliott and his group in Newton. Um, our, our approach is a little bit different. Their approach is mainly a psychotherapy approach. And our approach is a meditation-based approach. So it's different in that way. We use the ideal parent figure uh, protocol, which they develop, but we also use uh, meditation, uh, metavipassana meditation in particular, to develop mentalizing. Uh, the reason that mentalizing is important is that you need to be able to understand what's happening in the present moment so that you're able to form a skillful response to what's happening. So you're, you're able, you're need, you need to be able to understand what's actually happening, to be able to, uh, in uh, real time, understand the communication that's coming to you from other people, um, and then to be able to clearly express yourself, and also to track the reactivity uh, or the reaction of the person to your communication and your own reaction to the communication that you receive back. Uh, in the Satipatthana Sutta, I would uh, 
describe that as mindfulness of inside, mindfulness of outside, and mindfulness of inside and outside. Um, you uh, understand the process in which you take ultimate real reality or the pure sensing data and form it into uh, an experience. Uh, and then you understand that you're forming the experience based on your definitions, not on a universal definition. And that if you're unclear about the intention or meaning of the other person was directing your way, you're free to inquire about it so that you can negotiate uh, an understanding uh, be between the uh, two sets of definitions, right? You have your own set of definitions. If you're involved with somebody, you need to learn their definitions so that you can uh, re uh, communicate to them in a way that, that it means the same thing. And then they need to understand what your definitions are so that they can communicate to you in a way that you'll understand what they're uh, expressing. And if you can't, uh, if they can't do that fast enough or you can't do that fast enough, one of you is going to need to do the transliteration of that so that you're actually uh, engaged in uh, understanding something between you. Um, and then uh, the third uh, pillar is uh, understanding how collaborative relationships work. Uh, if you don't understand how collaborative relationships work, you may not recognize uh, the cues that happen in relationships uh, so that you can respond in a way that's actually collaborative. Uh, if you miss the cues, then it's easy enough to uh, tread on uh, boundaries, which obligates the other person then to reinforce the boundaries. And so relationships can get quite rigid because there's an insensitivity to the the array of boundaries that are present. Uh, and uh, somebody whose boundaries are being intruded upon uh, needs to uh, reinforce them and make them more and more rigid in order to keep them. Whereas if you could see the boundaries and, and uh, respect them, uh, there's a much greater possibility of flexibility in the relationship. So understanding uh, that uh, in collaborative relationship systems, you take care of the person in a way that they need to be taken care of, and they take care of you in the way that you need to be taken care of. And if there's a conflict, then uh, you negotiate uh, a way of being in relationship to each other that works for both parties. And then you keep the agreement uh, that's how relation those collaborative relationship systems work and that really is based on a kind of uh, attachment security uh, insecure organized attachment systems tend to relate differently than that and disorganized people um, the main problem with uh, disorganized people is they don't really recognize the boundaries at all and they're not reliable um, Not all relationships are intimate, so I'm, I often talk about relationships in this way and uh, understand that when I talk about uh, a relationship where you really engage in learning what somebody else is meaning when they're expressing themselves and they're really engaged in learning what you mean when you express yourself using your definitions and that you collaborate together so that 
there, there is intimate uh, communication where you really understand each other is one thing. Uh, Role-based relationships where you uh, meet your obligations based on your role and they meet their obligations based on their role. There isn't a lot of uh, intimacy uh, beyond those uh, more transactional relationships than that would that that would be a role-based relationship um, which, which has a different dynamic than a, than a secure intimate relationship does most people i think uh, well at least if you go to the back of the bookstore in the self-help section nine out of ten books are on how to make role-based relationships work men are from mars women are from venus you know men are like this women are like this this is how you get how you interact um, but this isn't new you know it goes way back if we if we look at the, the uh, chinese empires of you know millennia or so ago they always they talk about it in uh, confucianism which is the understanding of what roles are and what position you have and what responsibilities your role have how roles are meant to interact with other roles you have taoism which is really more of the intimate uh, experience of understanding the the spiritual nature of life and of relationship and then you have the legalistic uh, group really which is uh, just straight up fascism it's been around a long time we can make laws that everybody has to live by whether they're uh, and whoever's in power can make whatever law they like and then you have to live by it we we sort of have that now in in the u.s with our christian nationalist supreme court um, so then in some sense you make a decision about the the kind of uh relationships that you would like to have i tend to uh, advocate uh, secure, intimate relationships is the way to go and, and don't talk much about the other ones. In a secure, intimate relationship, you would be willing to tell somebody your experience of what's actually happening in an open way. Um, uh, if they're above the line, that is to say, if you're in an intimate relationship where uh, you've made the agreement where you express everything. Uh, and then, uh, of course, there are relationships where you don't have that agreement, agreement, so you don't express everything. You express things that are in line, in keeping with the nature of the relationship that you have. Can you say more about that? How that people figure that out, what that is? Well, if we look at secure attachment, people who are securely attached understand how much time, energy, and resources uh, secure intimacy requires. And so they like to uh, take those risks with people that have already demonstrated that they're trustworthy. That is to say that they reliably show up, that they're kind, that they're interested in the person, interested in the care of the person. And so they, they don't move quickly into that uh, level of closeness. They take their time to make sure that the person uh, that they're going to put that much time, energy, and resources into 
is actually going to be able to show up for them and to take care of them. In some sense, what you're doing is shopping for your caregiver. And so then you want to have a caregiver that's actually going to be responsive and really take care of you in a good way. And all you have to do to get that to happen is to take care of them in an equally good way. And so it's it has that mutual quality to it. Although in secure relationships, um, it's likely that one person at a particular moment is getting a, a larger share of the care than uh, the other person. And then that can change it as circumstances change, but because you're each committed to providing that care, that, that agreement is okay. Jacqueline, you have to unmute yourself. Um, I have a question about uh, meeting someone who is, I've been reading and learning so much about this attachment stuff, which I'm very interested in. And um, about someone who is an avoidant dismissive, can that ever change? Or is that just the way they're going to be? Forever? So anxious avoidant is the child category, dismissing is the adult category. Dismissing mm -hmm. people are avoidant. Um, and actually, it's the easiest one to fix, as it turns out. Really? Hmm. All you have to do is get them to see that it would be desirable to change, which actually is the, the hard part. Yeah. <laughs> narcissism would have that. Good luck. Well, <laughs> narcissism is also changeable. Um, mainly, what you do there is you uh, appeal to their interest because that's really the only thing that they monitor in the beginning. It would be it would be better for them if they would shift out of that uh, rigidity uh, and move into a collaborative relationship because they would feel better. They would be happier. They could yeah. be more productive. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, and the, the reason why dismissing attachment is easier to fix is that they have most of the skills already in place. Dismissing, How, dismissing, why, why do you say that? Um, you know, there's a, there's a balance between um, the attachment system, the exploration system, and the collaborative system. So three main systems. The way that the dismissing people operate is by suppressing their attachment system, uh, hyperactivating their exploration system. And uh, for, for the most part, they have no real skills training in collaborative systems. So they don't think of that really as a way of being. Um, at the core of that is the terrible sadness of, of constant rejection in childhood. Yes, that's what it, what it comes from, definitely. But if you can convince a dismissing person that that terrible sadness that was so overwhelming and unbearable in childhood is actually not so for an adult, uh, they have the capacity to explore that where they could see uh, relatively quickly that they actually can hold the sadness experience and they don't need to escape from it anymore. And so the defensive structure that they've created of this sort of blown out, grandiose sense of self mm -hmm. collapses because they don't need that anymore. And that opens them up to the sense of uh, 
of uh, the, the capacity to be vulnerable in relationships. Uh, but because they, they're good explorers typically and their mentalizing skill is pretty close to the secure range, they can do a, a cost benefit analysis. Oh, yeah. See <laughs> that uh, collaborative relationship systems are actually a good benefit for them in terms mm. of them being able to get what they want so that they, they can they can use the skills that they have uh, and have a direct experience of the benefit to them and then move into the beneficial system which then supports oh. uh, a collaborative relationship they have wow. to change their mind about whether they want to be in a collaborative relationship and they then have to learn what a collaborative collaborative relationship is mm -hmm. uh, dismissing people don't collaborate not because they know how to collaborate and they and they decide not to do it is they don't really they reference don't. collaborative relationships at all and so they need to begin to learn that but they're capable of learning they're capable of exploring and if they find that there's a benefit for them in that then they move into it because it's better for them which is the original orientation only things that are good for me matter right but then uh, because they find the benefit of being uh, intimate in a relationship useful and rewarding, uh, they they tend to move quicker in that direction. Hmm. Okay. Um, preoccupied people. The reason why it's it takes longer for them is they their attachment system is hyperactivated. Uh, their uh, exploration system is off because their attachment system is hyperactivated and they also don't have collaborative relationship skills uh so i'm sorry you're talking about the anxious yeah anxious, anxious preoccupied oh, mm -hmm. anxious ambivalent is the child category preoccupied is the adult category yeah. so in order to get the attachment system to turn off, uh, preoccupied people need to learn emotional regulation skills. But their exploration system is shut off, so it's hard for them to learn something new. So there's a, a constant need for proximity to their regulator to get them regulated enough that their attachment system can go off and then they have to be willing to develop the skills of emotional regulation so that they have more success in deactivating the attachment system so the exploration system can turn on once they get to that piece and they can actually get their exploration system to turn on they don't know how to explore so they before they can begin to explore they have to learn how to explore uh, exploring, of course, is dysregulating, and so their attachment system goes off, and their exploration system, uh, attachment system goes on, and their exploration system goes off. So it's it's harder for them to do that. And how do you? What do you recommend to learn more about all this? I guess the the main way that we do it is through our level one and level two classes. Yeah, I wish I had the time to do that. I need to do that for sure. Um, you know, they're recorded, so you can also do the recordings if, you, if the oh. live thing can't work. Oh, okay. Um, Good. Yeah, my um, uh, Sarah Jane Gold uh, recommended ah. 
She and she just highly recommends those courses. So I'll yeah. make I'll make it a priority. Because you know it, it's a three pillar approach. One is the ideal parent figure protocol. One is the mentalizing piece, and one is the psychoeducation piece. So you have to do them all. Uh, that's one of the things about this process is if you don't do them all, it does you don't get all of this the skills that you need in order to shift. Uh, one of the things about um, if you think about uh, this is a capacity. It isn't that really. Uh, I think it's um, useful to think about it as skills training or a deficit of skills. Uh, if you grow up in a family system that uh, you, you, as a child, you have an 85% chance of learning the attachment strategy of your primary caregiver, because that's what they know to teach you. So they teach you the skill set of the different attachment strategies. But in, in some sense, they're also teaching you the skills deficit of that particular attachment strategy. And so the way out of a insecure, disorganized attachment strategy is to understand where your skills deficit is and then begin to develop those skills so that you can operate in a way that's more secure. Because that's actually what's holding you back. It doesn't do any good to, uh, well, it's, it's totally fine to reinforce the skills you already have, but the skills you already have are creating the experience, the conditioned response of your attachment outcome. That makes sense. Yeah, that's uh, very interesting. I'd like to know more about it. That really makes sense. Can you just repeat that, George? I'm a little bit slow. <laughs> <laughs> well, in some sense, the attachment conditioning, right? you learn includes a skill set that you learn, but it also includes the skills deficit that you don't learn. And so you can function in the way that your skill set operates, but not differently because you don't have the skills, uh, the broad range of skills that secure people have. So you, can't, you don't operate that way. So what you need to begin to understand, and part of this is, is to analyze uh, what skills you have and how they work, but also what skills you don't have. And then there's actually a third category, I would say, is the skills that actually don't serve you very well. You have to unlearn them, or as we like to say in Buddhism, suppress them, or as the Buddha said, annihilate them at any cost. <laughs> Mostly that's thought replacement. Um, so you, you, you learn to mentalize or you learn to monitor your thought processes and understand that your thought processes create the experience of reality that you have. Uh, and so that you can create a different uh, experiences of reality based on what you allow the mind to think. So one way that the, it's talked about uh, is that your senses are well guarded, your sense gates are well guarded. You don't allow the mind to uh, indulge in unwholesome or afflictive thought patterns. One of the things about that, of course, is that your conditioned uh, your conditioning includes the learning of those things in childhood, because uh, we learn how to regulate our emotions from our caregivers by uh, 
them helping us to regulate our emotions when we're very young, and then by watching them uh, operate in the world and regulate their emotions in the world. Uh, and because that system is so uh, unique to, to individual family systems, and there's often no uh, perception of that, we can easily slip into a kind of non-mentalizing psychic equivalence and think that everybody does it that way, or it's, it's natural to do it that way without examining that some patterns are helpful and some, some emotional regulation patterns are not helpful. And so what you want to do is to begin to suppress the ones that are not helpful, but in doing so, what you usually do is reveal a, uh, a deficit of the capacity to regulate emotions. You don't really have a choice about whether you regulate your emotions or not. You have some agency in the strategies that you use to regulate them, but uh, you can't abandon an afflictive emotional regulation strategy simply by stopping to use it. You have to stop it and replace it with something else that works. And if you don't have something else that works, then you can't stop, you can't stop the afflictive patterns. So part of this is the development of beneficial skills uh, for understanding what's happening and also for emotional regulation, so that when you recognize an afflictive thought pattern arising, and that it has an emotional regulation quality to it, you can stop it and replace it with a beneficial strategy that will be uh, as regulating or more regulating than what you're currently doing. Otherwise, the body-mind won't allow, allow it, it'll just switch back. So, so the reason these habits can be so challenging to shift is because the afflictive strategies work really well to regulate your emotions, even if the cost to, to you uh, is high. In the moment, they're not eval evaluating the uh, larger sense of the cost, just whether it works in the moment. Now, if, if you don't have uh, uh, beneficial skills, enough beneficial skills, then what you might notice is that you have a kind of cycling depression experience that happens because when the when the system is overwhelmed and needs to be regulated and you don't have adequate skills to regulate it it can get to the point where it just shuts itself down in a protective way which is what we call it depression but it's a shutting down of the limbic system to protect the the receptors in the brain biochemicals. So all of these experiences that we have are caused by dumping neurochemicals into the system. And if the system gets too saturated, then, then we don't have a, a way of uh, dealing with it that's effective. The, the body-mind shuts itself down in that way. So you'll notice people that don't have good emotional regulation skills are, are vulnerable to depression more than people who do and that it is possible to practice your way out of that kind of depressive experience uh, by being relentless in monitoring uh, your thought processes and uh, simply not allowing the afflictive strategies. Make sense? 
So in secure family systems, uh, you learn all of these skills in infancy and childhood so that there isn't any special attention really that's needed. You, the skills that you need to function in that way uh, exist in the family system. The children are cared for and taught the skills and encouraged to use them. And uh, because the, the use of them uh, makes life uh, easier, uh, you have a tendency uh, in those systems to have a much deeper uh, capacity for exploration. And so you find the meaningfulness of life richer in a way that people are insecure, disorganized, uh, often are, are challenged to find. Um, if you don't explore, it's very difficult to find meaningfulness. You can tag along with somebody else on their exploration, but that doesn't tend to be as satisfying. And if you don't have somebody to share your exploration, it doesn't have the same richness that it, uh, that it would in a secure system where the exchange of uh, intimate discoveries or uh, intimate explorations are uh, one of the energy sources of the relationship. So what I like about using attachment structures uh, as a way of understanding conditioning is that you can begin to see uh, how the actual early experiences you had created this database of meanings that you use to create self and world. Uh, and that you can, using these Buddhist insights into not-self and impermanence, understand that the, this pattern, this experience that you have of yourself is, is a conditioned response to the, the, the present moment. It is not a, a solid, fixed, inflexible, unchangeable uh, activity. And that you can begin to make these small changes and that the the, the experience of creating self and world uh, changes. One of the things I like the most about this approach is that you do these meditations, which are fairly straightforward, and anyone can really do them. And uh, that has this profound uh, capacity to shift your perception of, of self and world. So that be, because these meditations are really uh, simple, really, and uh, um, pretty much anyone can do them, that really uh, means that pretty much anyone can make uh, these kinds of changes. And one of the things that I, I, I'm finding in my own uh, practice around this that's so um, really energizing is that you make these small changes um, and that shifts perception and shifts the way that you operate in the world. And then what unfolds from that over time is a completely vastly different experience of being alive. Uh, you know, the old Zen saying, if you don't change the direction you're going, you're li liable to end up where you're heading. And so if you don't change anything, these, this is really stable and you just tend to go along. But even if you shift the width of a hair, 
over time, you end up in a completely different place. There is almost a snowball-like effect in how this happens. That one change leads to a whole nother set of possibilities. And that if you keep moving in a, in a, be a beneficial direction, you end up somewhere completely different uh, beyond what you might have imagined was possible because of it. Make sense? Um, it's one of the reasons I'm, I guess I'm, you might say I'm a booster of this way of working, but also uh, it's, uh, I do like that it's, it's very basic and that, that uh, really just have to do these ba very basic uh, techniques and, uh, and the, ch the changes unfold so that it's really available to anyone who is willing to do that. Uh, Jacqueline, you're muted again. I can't unmute you up from my side or I would. There you go. I'm sorry. I just wanted to say that the way you present it, it sounds so promising <laughs> and so hopeful. Yes, that's, that's what I'm going for. Yeah, <clears throat> well, I'm um, excited about exploring more of it. Good. Um, yep. So let's do some meditation. I was thinking maybe we do some meta practice for self. So go ahead and take your meditation posture. So how did that go? Everything is beautiful. Good. Any questions about the practice? So we're going to be doing a uh, level one, meditation and attachment level one in uh, Central European time, starting, uh, I think, the first week of November. So if you're a night owl or if uh, you have um, people who live in Central European time, the November 5th is the first one, then November 12th, and then November 19th are Saturdays. Uh, 10 to 5 in Europe, uh, 1 a.m. till 8 a.m. I think here. Um, we're going to start a, a level one uh, in uh, Pacific time in January, and then we'll have a level two uh, starting in the uh, in the winter. What else? Uh, I think that's about it at the moment. Um, so if you're interested in any of that or you want to recommend it to some people that you might know, um, it's on our website. Um, I have uh, a retreat scheduled in June in Utrecht, which is in the Netherlands. So that's the first week of June. If you if you want to go to Europe and then 
have a retreat and then do something else after. <laughs> uh, and as more things get on the calendar, I'll let you know. I offer this class on a Donna basis. Donna is the Pali word for generosity. I offer the teaching freely, but I do hope that you'll make a donation to support me uh, and also the work that Metagroup is doing. Find a link to make a donation on our website. Really appreciate your practice. Thank you for coming, and we'll see you soon, I hope, somewhere. Bye now. <laughs>